It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The scene is set for the biggest summer in English cricketing history. The World Cup is less than a week away. The squads have all been finalised. The 10 teams have arrived in the UK. The good weather has arrived just in time for the World Cup. And most importantly, England's gorgeous new kit has been unveiled. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. We're recording today's episode in front of a live audience here at the Beer and 91 Cricket World Cup Lounge at the Royal Garden Hotel in Kenton. I'm Yazran and what a show we have on for you today, folks. We'll have guests swapping in and out of the chair as we launch our coverage of a huge summer of international cricket right here. First up, I'm joined by the Wisdom Cricket Monthly duo of Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. Thanks for joining. Evening, Yaz. Cheers, Yaz. Are you guys as excited for the tournament as I am? I really am. I was thinking about this today. I've been, I professionally look forward to series, but this one, I feel like a, a proper fan again. But this is just because you're going to the game as a punter next Thursday. That probably it? is why. So I don't have to work on the first day, go to England, South Africa with my mates and uh, properly throw myself into it. Uh, let's talk England to kick the show off. They named their squad earlier in the week. Um, and I guess the main news was there's no David Willey. And Liam Dawson picked Joe Denley for the spot as the reserve spinner. Joe, nothing controversial. That, that was all pretty straightforward. Uh, I think that's probably the case. Regular listeners of the show will know you've been banging the Liam Dawson drum yep. for, for many, many weeks now. So they actually listen to you. Um, I think it's obviously really tough on David Willey. Uh, I think they handled it a tricky situation really well. They gave all of the bowlers the best possible opportunity to, to prove themselves. Uh, any debate about Joffre Archer, whether he was worth his place in the squad, was solved pretty quickly with that spell at the Oval. One person had to miss out, and I think it had to be Willie. But that said, um, it's a long tournament. There might be injuries. David Willey might still yet have a part to play uh, in this tournament. Yeah, I'll be surprised if there's not an injury to one of the seam bowlers and Willey comes into the squad at one time in the competition or another. I'm looking at some stats on Willey. Uh, I think the idea of Willie is better than reality. So people think that he swings the ball early, which he does, but also take wickets for the new ball. Since the 2015 World Cup, which is where David Willie's played all of his ODIs, he's got 24 wickets, an average of 40 in the power play, uh, which isn't that impressive if your USP is to take wickets in the power play. Yeah, and, and in England, they keep banging the drama about balance, constantly talking about balance. And Ed Smith at the press conference a couple of days ago continually kept driving that point home. David Willey is a limited, albeit effective cricketer, uh, whose raison d'etre in this, this England team is very, very precise and very specific. This is why they've gone with Liam Dawson, because he offers 
a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, he's, he's the kind of cricketer that, that they like, that captains and coaches like, because you can squeeze him in there. He's a natural filler-inner of a, of a cricketer. Um, Joe Denley, you can understand why he didn't quite make the cut. Um, J- James Vince has kind of not really been discussed in the last couple of days because he'd already nailed his place down a week or two ago on the back of his form for Hampshire. But still with England, there is that question mark against him. Now, if, if uh, Jason Roy breaks a finger tomorrow, then James Vince is opening the batting for England in the World Cup. And he's still not got close to actually nailing that position down. You talk about a cricketer who uh, is more promised than reality in Willie. Surely Vince is absolutely in that category as well. Uh, I, I see what you're saying, but Vince has only played a handful of ODIs. Also, I think it's the mentality of Vince that's really important. So he's come into the team not with his position secured, as you say, but he's come in and batted with the confidence of somebody who does have his place assured. But he hasn't scored any runs. No, he's, he's scored a quick 30-odd, and this England team, is part of, part, part of your role in the side is to nail your specific role. Being the opening batsman for England in this ODI side isn't necessarily about scoring big hundreds. It's about getting England to 70 for one after the first 10 overs, and Vince is somebody who's very comfortable to do that. Yeah, and I can see that. Uh, it's just it's been interesting this week that in the general murmurs of acceptance that this is the right call, the right balance of side, and so on and so on. There hasn't been that much discussion around Vince. Now, you know that I've got a hopelessly conflicted relationship with, with James Vince. I love him. I can't stand him. He'll break all our hearts. Uh, he reminds me too much of myself. I, can't, I, can't, I don't know what to do with James Vince. But it's interesting that there's been very little talk around him, that he is embedded in that side. And Joe Denley, who was kind of going up alongside James Vince has been given fewer opportunities to prove himself at this well, level. Well, Denley, I think, can feel a bit hard done by here because the role they were going to pick him for, the third spinner, is not that's not his speciality, clearly. But he could have. I think they could have given him a chance at the top of the order to nail down that spot and be the spare batsman who bowls a little bit of useful leg spin rather than being the leg spinner who bats in the, what, who bring in, potentially bat in the lower order. And bringing Liam Dawson for James Vince. Yeah, potentially. Potentially, that, that could have happened if Denley had actually had the chance to bat at the top of the order yeah. and got some runs. It's not, as you say, it's not as though Vince had nailed that spot. It was just an assumption that he was the better option, and, I mean, and that may well be the case. Next. I would say as well, the other, the kind of the, the bolter in a sense, even though he was in the provisional squad, was was Tom Curran, who's really come on strong. He clearly has a, a nerve for the big occasion. Uh, he's an excellent death bowler. Whereas whereas David Willey's niche got kind of squeezed out by the arrival of Archer. Tom Curran's is very much still, still an important issue. And also the runs that he's been getting. Yeah. I would actually necessarily, I'd potentially back him in a pressurised situation with a bat over David Willey, which he would have never said three, four months ago, but he's really come on strong in, in the big bash. But isn't it amazing that the only positions really up for debate were the reserve spinner, the sixth seamer, and the reserve opening batsman? Four years ago, Gary Balance was batting three in England's first game at the World Cup against the Aussies at the MCG. How did that one go again? No, it didn't go great. My worry is that we're, we're, building up for, we're building them up for an almighty fall. 137 all out against New Zealand in the semi-final. Uh, everything is on so smoothly. I wrote about this yesterday. There's not a person out there who follows England, English cricket who hasn't said, oh, we're losing the semis. We'll, we'll, we'll get done in the semis. Even when every rational thought points towards England being the strongest side in this tournament, still we can't shake this innate... I don't Pessimism and I think we'll win it. Sorry? I think we'll win it. Yeah, but you're different, Joe. You're, <laughs> you're a different the, the kind of character. The way the tournament is set up as well, they can have their slip-up in the group stage and it shouldn't really shake them. If they, if they don't get through to the semi-finals, given their current form, or something has gone horribly, horribly yeah. wrong. So you're almost hoping that slip-up comes early 
rather than as it did in the Champions Trophy, absolutely flying, and then it all goes wrong in the semi-final. Um, imagine how nervous England fans would be if we get through to the semi-final having played 9-1-9. Couldn't can, can think of anything worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the well, New Zealand in 92 situation all over again. You know, they peaked so early, they won seven in a row. They lost the last group game and then you fall into that semi-final and that momentum has just been punctured a little bit. This is, this is the, the oddness of this tournament. You're right, you put everything you've got on England to, to get to the semi-finals because they can afford to have a little bump in the road. I'm absolutely with you on that. But then it comes down to that, that nasty afternoon, wherever it might be, and the pitch might be a bit slow. Oh, that glorious it might be a bit overcast. Built. I can't shake it. I, can't, I can see it do now. You, do you think that England are better equipped now than they were two years ago? So two years ago, the side was still reasonably inexperienced. A lot of the players who are the main players now hadn't actually been in that ODI, ODI side for that long. So now do you reckon Morgan and his men are, are more capable of dealing with a tricky pitch, a slow deck at Cardiff? The more I, I talk to them and listen to them and watch them, the more I'm convinced that it's only our own concerns that we need to be worried about. They've, they've managed to organise themselves around this absolute unbreakable belief that this is their time. Uh, and their preparation has been hilariously meticulous. You know, they're practising now on Cardiff-esque pitches from two years ago. Dirty, slowish, lowish, tired pitches. They're practicing on these kinds of pitches. They've, cut, they've identified every possible pitfall and they're trying to, trying to deal with that and overturn it. Uh, there is nothing left for them to do other than go out and seal the deal. Do you almost think it doesn't matter whether or not England win the World Cup just because we've been on an incredible journey. Remember how bad England were just four years ago and here we are worried that England might not win the tournament. Yeah, but that's why it matters so much, because we have been on that journey, and the journey's got to culminate in something. And we had a kind of near-miss with the Champions Trophy, and it's been, been building to this. And it, it would, as brilliant as they've been, that means the stick, if they don't, not if they don't win it, because they need to get to the final, basically. And I think you can, you can win or lose the final, but, and you can, Coley can have a brilliant day, which you can't possibly do anything about, but, but they, need, could, they need to get to the he final. He could do that in the semi-final, though. He could. He could. Um, I've got a question for you two. So men's cricket hasn't truly captured the public imagination in this country since 2005. 14 years of free-to-air TV has unquestionably hurt the game's popularity in this country. Do you think that a successful tournament for England, just them playing well and in the style that we've seen them play over the last four years, could go some way into winning over new fans and make the likes of Joss Butler and Joffre Archer household names come July 14th? It can definitely go a long, long way to doing that. But you've, you've already said it in the question there, that the paywall still exists. And I mean, a lot of my friends who love sport and will watch a World Cup in almost any sport, a lot of them, when I speak to them about it, don't even know a Cricket World Cup is here. And that's, that's a depressing thing to hear. Now, you hope once the event gets going, when football dies down, the whole thing builds a bit of momentum. But we don't know that for sure. And we can watch England score 400 and think, this is amazing. Why would anyone not want to watch this? But the fact is, there is a big barrier in the way and nothing that happens in this World Cup is going to solve that immediately. What it will hopefully do is build a bit of momentum. People will be coming to, to bars, to pubs if they don't have Sky Sports, that the word of cricket will spread and that we've got some fantastic players that even if you don't really know cricket, if you watch Joss Butler score a century, you know you're watching something special. There is something deeply uncomfortable about the idea that England will be playing Australia or India or whoever in a final on a Sunday afternoon on July the 14th and you won't be able to watch it unless you pay 40 quid a month. There is something very unsettling about that point, no question about that. In the, the football... Oh, sorry. However, 
it's, it is a different landscape now to what it used to be. Um, you the, see when? Two, five years ago, three years ago. The BBC's clips service has revolutionised in many respects how people consume English cricket. Do you really think that's enough? It's not enough. Of course it's not enough. And it's no excuse. But is that enough for even a casual fan, not, not even a casual fan, somebody who's never been interested in cricket, to then start having an interest in cricket? So, I mean, I remember last year with the Football World Cup, it was great seeing people who didn't care about football ever before in their lives really being invested in it. But that was because it was like a, a community feel watching the game. You'd watch a game in a packed pub and everyone around you cared, so you'd care. I can't see that happening with the Cricket World Cup, as depressing that sounds on the eve of the tournament. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, it'll certainly be available here. <laughs> you can come down and watch it for free here. Um, I'm just saying that the landscape is more complex than it used to be. When, when the decision was made to remove it from terrestrial TV in 2005, it was undoubtedly a hammer blow for the game's popularity. There was the, the compensation of money, of course, which can't be discounted. Um, I would also just add as well, there's an iconography around winners that you don't get if you lose by five runs in the final, having been the best team. You know, I don't like rugby, but I know that Johnny Wilkinson will forever be that icon that booted that ball against the Aussies. That right? was live on ITV, though. Sure, but we're moving away from that. I'm talking about, if you're talking about a le lasting legacy here, if you're talking about embedding images and memories into people's minds that stay around, that hang around, it would obviously be a lot more helpful if it was on BBC One, but it's not. So we work with what we've got. And we've, but we've seen it with the Women's World Cup two years ago. I mean, that was still yeah. behind the paywall. And we know it was... Which was the most popular page on the BBC that weekend during a very difficult London Bridge terrorist attack, etc. weekend. And that was the most popular page yeah. on, the, on the BBC. So there is an awareness of it, whether you are watching it ball by ball on the BBC or not. And we talk... I mean, legacy is kind of a loaded term post the Olympics, but... We have seen that with the result of the Women's World Cup, England winning that game. Participation for female critics is, is through the roof. Interest is massively increased. So that does serve as a kind of, if it works for the women uh, when England win the World Cup, why shouldn't it work for the men? It's just scale. It's just making sure that enough people get their eyes on it and then want to go and play cricket over the course of summer. And they do have to win. You know, a valiant runners-up, having been the best team on balance in the tournament, people shrug their shoulders, they go back to work on Monday morning. Well, it, it does it for if us, they win it, it? If they win it then you, you, you create these memories for people that are kind of infused into their minds. And then it hangs around. Then it stays with you. It shouldn't be like that, but it is. How, it, everybody how, in here are comfortable with them finishing a runners-up. How much pressure is that putting on the team? Do you, reckon the, do you reckon the team know that? I think they're well aware of it. I think they've known it for four years, to be honest. And that's been part of the planning. Uh, it's been meticulous in every detail, but the detail they can't plan is, is, is winning the actual final, and that, that's the bit that's going to get them over the line. Today we're kicking off not only a World Cup summer, but obviously an amazing summer of international cricket. Uh, the Ashes is part of that as well. Do you almost think the Ashes is almost irrelevant compared to the World Cup in terms of how it can inspire a new audience of cricket fan? Well, the ECB won't say it publicly, but they will certainly tell you privately. Uh, they will say to you, well, we, we want to win them both. But what they really mean is we have to win the World Cup and the Ashes takes care of itself. The Ashes is established in cricket lovers' hearts and minds. The World Cup is your one great opportunity to say this is what this game is. It's phase two, isn't it? It's phase two of this summer in, in, in every sense. The World Cup leads and if England do manage to win that final, then the Ashes in itself will become a much more true, popular true. and where there will be a lot more interest in it from casual fans who might not have paid uh, attention before. Finally, Joe, before you head off, yeah. your winner, who's it going to be? It's going to be England. As I've said, 
uh, beating India in the final. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, thank you, Joe. Brilliant to have Cheers, you on. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Harmon. Spirited applause. Next up, joining us on the high table is a rock star and a man of cricketing podcast royalty. Ladies and gentlemen, Felix White. Hello. <laughs> Great to have you on, Felix. How You're excited right, yes. are you for the World Cup, a home World Cup? I'm extremely excited, mate. Everyone is, aren't they? As I might have given away in the intro, the England kit launch really excited me. I'm wearing an England World Cup shirt. I've noticed. Right now. Uh, where, where does this rank in the pantheon of great cricket kits? At well, the top? it's certainly up there with the 92 kit because it's basically the same. <laughs> um, uh, I, lo- I love it. I mean, I, I don't think... I think if we win this tournament, right your mind is going to blur with a sort of montage of Derek Pringle and Ian Botham and Chris Lewis with the current England team. And I think that's what we want. Do you know what I mean? You're going to be visualising that montage yourself. You, you, you've got a lime green Pakistan one day kit, right? Well, Head you, to toe. You see me bowling it, mate. I certainly have. Where, it's a beautiful where, scene. Is that from a World Cup? Do you know what? I feel absolutely wonderful in that. And it's <laughs> <laughs> head to toe bright lime green and you, there's not a better feeling in the world than bowling a bit of loopy left arm spin in that uh, in all seriousness a home world cup is a once in an era experience for a cricket fan it's been 20 years since the last world cup uh, Felix do you have any any standout memories from the 99 tournament 99 well I, my, my memory is that uh, you might correct me if I'm wrong right but when we got knocked out it got rained off or something so the, the re- innings reply was on the second day. It was a day. It was a two-day game, so they had a reserve day against India. Yeah. Uh, it rolled over. Yeah. England were batting, cautiously chasing a target. A classic. There were a couple of heroically bad decisions made, um, and Alex Stewart actually talks about this in the current magazine. The nightmare of '99, and Joe Harmon's put it all together. But it's not. It's not a nightmare. Have Hold it, have, on. No, Hold ha, on. No, no. no have Hold it read on. it. England won three games, including thrashing two teams that ended up qualifying ahead of them in the group stage. They had quite a good tournament. I think to get knocked out of your own tournament the day before the official World Cup song is released, you've got to be a bit unlucky. You can't be lucky to have done that as well. No, you're, you're unlucky, but I don't think they did that badly. But sorry, go on. Yeah, it was a weird time for English cricket. You wrote about this in an old magazine that we used to put together. 1999 was the year, perversely, that you fell in love with cricket. It was the year when England not only got knocked out of their own tournament after about a week, but they ended up, by the end of that New Zealand Test Series, the officially worst-ranked team in the world. It was the Darren Maddy years, right? Exactly, and that was interesting. I think I found a a kind of commitment towards failure in that England team. (laughs) which wouldn't have carried me through the decades of loving cricket had I not fallen in love with those guys. So uh, how do we manage it now? We've got the best team in yeah. the world. How do we? Because I'm struggling with it's it. It's hard for your identity, isn't it, to work it out. But you're one of those and who thinks England are going to lose in the semi-final then? No, I think they play with a fearlessness which suggests that um, they could win this tournament and that would be extremely disorientating for all of us. I don't know <laughs> if we know how to celebrate it. Um, they, they could win it, but to be honest with you, I don't know if it matters that much because you really they, not think so. I think if as long as we ha- as long as they play good cricket, I don't think it's going to particularly make a huge difference. Joe, Joe was saying just before he came off that he thinks that having being the winners, and you were saying this as well, being the winners is such an important thing. Like if we just lose against uh, whoever in the final to an average punter who doesn't have an interest in cricket, that doesn't stick in your mind as much. I think we just want. There needs to be a story, there needs to be a narrative, something needs to happen. And if that happens to be heartbreak, then I'm all for it, basically. Yeah, okay. I can kind of 
go with that. Comparing football to cricket is apples and oranges, but the England football team were down... They were a, a dirty story, weren't they, for two or three years. Uh, and then they had last summer. Now, that's different, because that was so quick. With this, we've had four years building up to us actually being good. In football, we had about 25 minutes in the first half against Croatia. Cricket, we've had four years of, mm, we're quite good at this. Yeah, but you're speaking again from a cricket fan's point of view. No one else knows that we've had four years of build-up. No one's been following our New Zealand 3-2 win away from home in, in February, or whatever it might be. No one's, no one's aware of that. They're aware from next week, hopefully, that we've got six weeks to prove something. Going back to that 1999 tournament, the game's changed so much since then. Right. So there were only three scores of over 300 in that tournament. India versus Sri Lanka and India versus Kenya and Australia against Zimbabwe. England, as I said, I don't think actually did as bad as, pe as history has, has said. England batted second in all five of their games. Fake and, news, yes. And, and the <laughs> highest score that England conceded was 232 for eight. That was so against that was the India game yeah. where they couldn't chase that home. So so in a way it was it was a wow, massive serious. They were chasing two thirty <laughs> and they lost. Yeah, right. And that can was I the highest score they conceded. Can I ask you two? You might not know this. Answer this question. What was Lance Kluzner's strike rate in that tournament? That's a lovely question. Two hundred and twelve. No idea. It's a pure guess. <laughs> um, as, we, as we're moving down this rabbit hole of English failure, where Felix and I are so comfortable. Um, I was talking earlier about other World Cup nightmares, other English World Cup nightmares. 2003, Australia, England, Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Do you remember this one, Felix? Do you remember Go this? on, tell me. This was after Nasser Hussein's England side had chosen on moral grounds not to go to Zimbabwe. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of hung out to dry by the British government as well as, their, as, well as the ECB. I don't know if there are any ECBers in, but this was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and they had to beat Australia to qualify. And they were 60 for naught off nine overs mm -hmm. against Australia. Going well. Uh, and then Andy Bickle took seven for 20. Andy <laughs> Bickle, a nice lad, a workaday medium pacer. Sure. And, and, and he, was, he played a match in innings as well. Seven for 20. Then the he, Andy then, Bickle game. This is it. Then Andy Caddick picks up the ball. They're 40 for four chasing 200 or, or Australia. And then they're 130 for eight chasing 200. And you think, right, finally we're going to beat them. Finally we're going to beat them. And it also has this kind of sense of NASA's destiny as well. He, mm. he took a stand and now he's going to get the result on the pitch that his dignity deserves. And of course, Bickle 30-odd not out. Bevan 70 not out. Two balls to go. Bevan creams on through the you, covers and that's that. But you can pick basically any game from the last five World sure. Cups and there'll be a miserable England. But that was so exquisitely sad, yeah. that one. I'll tell oh, you what is exquisitely sad as well. Neil Smith throwing up on a pitch. Well, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great photo. It's a great photo. Perfect anyway, metaphor for England yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. But also, random World Cup selections. England going into tournaments with a plan and then six weeks out completely changing it and dropping people. I'd like to think that in 20 years' time, a cricket fan will be able to... Uh, recite the 15 people named in this World Cup squad. <laughs> I can't but, even know. But, but can you, can you for the 1999 tournament, name the 15 people in England's squad? Oh, Felix brilliant. And um, Vince, Vince Wells and upwards. Wow. Vince yeah. Wells. Yeah. Vince Wells in that Ian game. Austin. That's one, two. You've got the two Are we, are we doing this, the whole yeah, 15? Yeah, we're doing the whole 15. Well, Nick Knight, obviously, is yeah. in that squad. And Nasser Hussain's in that squad. Yeah, four. Malali. Five. We're, lo we're losing him here. We're Mark, losing him. Mark, Mark Elaine. No. No, not No. There's another Mark. Uh, Mark Elam, of yep. course. Joe's all-time hero. Uh, future England hero. Don't look at the list. That's cheating. Uh, Adam Hollyoak was in the team, of course. Yeah. Oh, I was, no, Freddie was yeah, in that team. Yeah, he was. Young yeah. Freddie Finsoff was in that team. Uh, all-time great England ODI bowler as well. 
Goffey. Darren Goff. Yeah. Was Andy Caddick in this? Uh, Andy Caddick was not in there. You're missing uh, a county county cricket juggernaut, and you're missing <laughs> a spinner. Oh, well, I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Uh, Robert Croft, of course. Yeah. yeah. Robert Croft. And, yeah. and the county cricket. Alex Stewart, incidentally. Alex Stewart yeah. was captain of that team. He still has not no, no, forgiven. No, no, no. Two more. You need to get the them all. ECB. I'm trying to move this on. I don't know. No. You just tell me who they are. Yeah, Graham lost Thorpe and yeah. Graham Hick. Thorpe was the one who was missing another set LBW against India and it got given. He's never forgiven but you're not, us. But you're not bitter. That's, that's good. Yeah, um, it's been unremitting misery from 1992 onwards. A- Atherton said on the TV the other day that you can divide England's World Cup story into two halves. 75 to 92, three finals, uh, two more semi-finals. Pretty decent. 92 all the way through to right now, right here and now, has been a disaster. So this is why, I'm sorry, I can't just sit here nonchalant and say, oh yeah, England are just going to go and walk it. I don't have that kind of inbuilt confidence that <laughs> the likes of Joey Harmon have. I just don't have that. But an, a- an actual successful England team of, of not, that, not, that, uh, not that long ago, uh, the England team at the turn of the decade. Felix, you've been working on a pretty cool project on that England team. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, right. Well, Barney Douglas, um, who at the time was actually working behind the scenes for that England team, he's made this feature-length film called The Edge, which is about that team whose mission was to get to number one in the world... Um, with Andy Flower, and it is such a beautiful film on a number of levels. Firstly, on a kind of really cricketing way, when you look back at that side, they're actually already an incredibly archaic test side, actually. They're the last sort of their kind of a test side, do you know what I mean? It did one thing very well, drilled to do that. Um, but what's more important about the film, actually, is it's actually about the emotional after-effect of success and the collateral damage of a group of alpha males collectively trying to achieve something and all the main players are in it KP blah 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 it's KP interviewed isn't it KP's in it the, what the, the great thing about the film is it's not it could have been solely about KP but it's actually about the collective so there is a there uh, does is he talk you've seen the whole show film yeah now, yeah I've seen it many times I've been making yeah. music to it and so so does KP show you know sufficient self-awareness to recognize the the, the overall landscape of the time, or is, or is this his particular story K- specifically about himself? KP tells his own story, and the others tell their own story. Is he and regretful? What, what, what you will notice is that all squad members, when saying anything positive about him, prefix it with, as a player, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. say KP. But, is, but is, 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 does the film focus on the fallout? Because I feel that people remember that team for how it finished. But that team for... For four years, it was the best team in the world. From right. 2009 to 2013, they lost two test series. That's amazing. Like Compare that to the England team since 2013. That's incomparable. Sure. So is, is, does the film focus on the, on the good times as well as the bad? Or is it just on the fallout of the KP incident? Or is it, uh, yeah, as you said earlier, uh, like the, 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 the fallout of... Or the difficulties that comes of being a successful team? The most compelling part of the film is actually the second half when they fall down the other side of it. And this is kind of the repercussions of when you make winning absolutely everything, no matter what, what happens the other side. And they kind of, as fans, we actually did witness it as well, but they kind of joylessly won. Even when they won the Ashes, 3-0, 3-1 at home, one away at India, there was kind of no real satisfaction uh, as a fan even in that. And it's what's really telling is when you look inside the dressing room, they were in pieces, like mentally, while that was... Even when they were winning away... Yeah, it was, it was, they were clinging on... And that so, Jenga so they, house was about to fall down. Do they address this then? Why, in 2013, they won their third 
consecutive ashes and they won it 3-0 in England and Broad won the game at Chesley Street and so on and so on. Do they address this? Do they, do they try and understand why when on, the, on paper they're untouchable? They were so oddly unpopular out there in the public. They do, and I don't want to ruin what happens in the film, even though we do know what the general story arc is. Um, but Andy Flower has a few really interesting things to say about it, about how he, he would reflect on his behaviour and what he put into the side and how the rest of them feel the damage that was is, done Is to Flower them. regretful of how he managed it towards the end? I... Um, I almost don't want to tell you that because he says a couple of really beautiful things which I think the currency should be left in the film for you. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, from, from the outside point of view though, it was, it was such a dramatic collapse because, yeah, as Phil says, they, they won an Ashes series at home 3-0 well, and I, then a couple of weeks later, <laughs> pretty much, they well, lost 5-0. I, I can tell you because I've made the music how I've approached it musically and what is interesting looking at it in reflection is that even in those successes, there's a melancholy in it. So I'll be making this real, like, um, this music that um, emotively tries to trigger, even in the successes, that there's something, an undercurrent of sadness the whole way through it. Um, so that's what I tried to well, do with the music, it, it, which I think is kind of, uh, there haven't been any many other cricket films. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's quite interesting, though. So that team was England's most successful team, probably te in Test cricket the last 50 years. And you wouldn't yes. say that they were hugely popular. Yeah. But the current side now... Forget the, the, the white ball stuff. Even the test team that isn't that successful, they're a popular bunch. They're a likable bunch. Sure. And the public, the cricketing public at least, seems to, sure. seems to enjoy them. Enjoy that. Do you get anything from the players, a tinge of regret that they uh, weren't as liked or as popular as you could be think, for a team that was that successful? I think the thing you notice now is that the team now have actually learned from that side's mistakes, which is that inbuilt siege mentality of us against the rest of the world and that kind of we're not um, giving anything to the media that kind of closed off thing eventually you end up at a trapdoor type thing so I feel like that's a lesson that's been learnt by English cricket and actually by um, just emotionally by people in general that that kind of that, that will run you into a dead end eventually I guess you still got your good friend Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad in the current side that, that was in the side that is covered in the film yeah so that's the cool thread as well that runs along it is that a lot of people's careers have ended at different sign points and Jimmy's still going you know one of the best moments in the film is when they, they trigger back A and B between the end of Alistair Cook's career that magnificent thing at the Oval and Jonathan Trott's career which is, so, which is a in last front of day, nobody a lot in front of no one at, um, at Warwickshire but he's still but like I'm very proud of myself and all that kind of thing but I love that anti-gladiatorial thing of it's not that, that might have been a story for Cook but for like 999,000 well, yeah, other people yeah. it's a different story and, so, and it's, so a, it's a far more English story what happened to Trot than it totally, is what happened to Cook totally and I, I never used to like watching Jonathan Trot back because I was so bored of it but now I'm <laughs> deeply deeply in love with his technique yeah well, what, what, what we do for him at number well, three well, yeah exactly now watching the current England uh, top three we would die well for we do the, with the, it with we, the yeah Simple question to finish. It's the same question that I asked Joe. Who's winning this World Cup? Um, West Indies. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> well, great having you on, Felix. A real pleasure. Um, I'm sure we'll see you plenty of times Thank over the, the tournament. Sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, Felix White. Thank you, Felix. And finally, last and certainly not least, is Times reporter, great friend of this podcast and one of the most knowledgeable voices on the game in this country, Lizzie Ammon. Oh, Steady on. Great to have you on, Lizzie. Um, 
a very simple question to, to kick us off. Go on. Who's qualifying for the semi-finals on four teams? England, India, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, snap. That's exactly the same as And Phil. New Zealand are going to win it. Oh, please. So, so, why, so, why, so why do you think New Zealand are going to win it? Uh, because... World Cup narratives never go how World Cup narratives are supposed to go. And no one has talked about Trent Bolt and Tim Southey. And I am going to talk about Trent Bolt and Tim Southey. You go right ahead. And Kane Williamson. Go on. Because they're adorable. Um, And because actually, as I was just saying, they they never go as you think they're going to go. So we're all about the big hitting of England. We're all about the big hitting of India's top order. The fact they've got a balanced side... Uh, Australia, you can never write off the Aussies, but New Zealand just go about their business, don't they? So I was really hoping that you wouldn't say New Zealand because I've got some stats to prove that New Zealand, I think, will do really well. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> you should have briefed me, Yaz. <laughs> so Ross Taylor averages 68 from the 59 ODIs he's played since the last World Cup. They are, lest we forget, the team that finished runners-up in the last World Cup. Um, but I think you touched on this. Bolt with a new ball is so key. No one has taken more than his 44 wickets in the first 10 overs of an ODI since the last World Cup. And it's fair to say that basically England aside, most of the teams at the World Cup are really reliant on their top three. So an informed Bolt could be lethal and the difference between New Zealand, already a very good team, and, and the rest. I, I, I like this narrative. I'm desperate to be behind it. And I do think they will go far. As I say, they are my semi-final picks as well. My only concern, and Southie and Bolt are probably pound for pound the best white ball partnership out there, certainly for the last five years. All I would add, I spoke to Chris Wokes about bowling in England with the white ball, and he said to me last month, if it swings for an over and a half, then you're thrilled. So he said to me, after four overs, I'm going to my cutters, my slower balls, my into the pitch balls. I wonder if, with two new balls as well, if Southie and Bolt's undoubted brilliance might be neutralised a little bit by the conditions and by these kind of boringly predictable balls that they work with here. And that their obvious differential might be reduced a little bit because they're just not going to get that much out of the conditions. Wasn't that the same though in 2015? It was Bolt and Stark who got the ball to move more than everyone else and that was why they were so They've successful. They've also got the other bases covered, haven't they? Well, this because is it. They, have, they do. They have they do. got the other bases They've got covered. power in the middle. They've, They've got, got class bit, up top. A bit of variation as well with the other seamers. They've got a decent spinner. Yeah, They've got... I think they've got the bases covered. And uh, I reckon a cheeky bet on the Kiwis. And also, you, what, you, we want this to happen. We want if, this to happen. No, if it's not no, going to be this no, lot, we want England to win. If it's I not mean, going to be this lot... I went to the captain's press conference today. The ten of them were sitting on this... In the Dragon's Den warehouse in Trendy Stoke, Newington. It, could have, it was a bit nauseating. But they, they were sitting there and they were all talking. And on the end is lovely Kane Williamson with his lovely beard... Uh, talking a lot of sense. Everyone else being a little bit, you know, trying to be cool. And Kane just talks sense about cricket, doesn't he? Have you seen the photo of all the captains together? Yeah, yeah. The one with Coley, like, man-spreading on an armchair with, <laughs> with Kane Williamson sitting behind his shoulder as if he's a waiter. I, I feel like that, that, that photo could uh, come back team, to bind him. We're all Team Kane, aren't yeah, we? We're all Team definitely, Kane. Definitely. So none, neither of you have said South Africa. Neither of you have said Pakistan. Uh, 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 do you think there's a very little chance of those two teams going through? I think, I think you can make a case for seven of the ten teams to finish in the semi-finals, and then after that, it really is open. 
Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, I think fairly you can say they're not going to make the semi So, I knew you'd say that. I think Bangladesh are being ignored by quite a few people here. They comfortably beat West Indies when they played three times in a recent tri-series in Ireland. They also narrowly lost to India in the Asia Cup final. They lost off the last ball of the tournament. That was only late last year. Uh, they played West Indies in a, in a number of recent series in the last couple of years, and they've, they've beaten them every time. Um, I, I don't think we should ignore them. I, I, I think Bangladesh are as good as, as a team like West Indies. Okay, well, maybe you're right. We'll have to wait there and see. eight. Yeah, I, I think... I think pedigree has to count to, to an extent here as well. Uh, I like what Bangladesh are doing. I like that lad Sumya, the left-hander. He's a class he's player. Great he, he's, he's one to kind of look in with the breakouts. You know, and, he's, and, he's and, and, they've got, and they've got number one ranked all-rounder in the world in Shaqib Al-Assad. Yeah, I just sure. think this, top, this format of the way the World Cup is, the four semi-finalists, it doesn't lie, does it? And I think you have to be consistent. You can afford a couple of slip-ups, but I just don't think Bangladesh will be able to do it consistently enough to be able to get into those semi-finals. Well, and this format is not set up for the quick dash. But what, you, what you are saying here, yes, is if you're right, eight of the ten can conceivably win this thing. So it makes for an astonishingly tense tournament, no, no doubt about it. Um, you ask about Pakistan and South Africa... I did another show similar to this earlier in the week. No one mentioned South Africa. No one's mentioned them at all. No one's writing about them. No one's talking about them. Um, Any team with Ngidi Rabad and Morris Staines are here. Surely sure. they're capable of beating anyone. I, I, I interviewed Duplessis last week and he said... Him too. Yeah, all right. We all do it, mate. Lizzie did it as well. Everyone does it. <laughs> he's, not, he's aware that his squad is not as solid from top to bottom as previous South African squads have been. He says that quite openly. Uh, that there's a developmental side of things with their squad. But there are four or five top-class, world-class cricketers in there. And also Faf himself, undoubtedly the most impressive captain out there, the most eloquent captain, I think, and the captain who, who, who drags his team along, making the best of what they've got, as well as, as Williamson on a, on a good day, I think. There was an interesting moment in the press conference earlier, the captain's press conference, where one of the children... Asked all the captains I heard about this. who they would have from one of the other teams in their team. Now, Morgan was dull, said, Oh, I don't want to pick, I'm happy with my squad. Jason Holder said, I'm happy with my squad. Virat said, I'm happy with my squad. And then Faf reeled off about eight. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. This is a man with perspective. This is a man you can have a drink with on a Friday night. I like that. I like the fact that he's open-hearted, you know, but that everything is a discussion rather than just hiding away, you know, and keeping stum. Well, I think it's astonishing, as you say, no one's really saying South Africa are potential World Cup winners, but that's, that's potentially not an incredible 11, potentially not an incredible 15. But you've got so many match winners in that. And realistically, what, in a nine-game uh, group stage, how many games do you need to win to qualify for the semi-finals? Five S or six? Six, probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, pa well, Pakistan won one of their first five in 1992. Where it was the same format, essentially. Same format, but just, of course, one yeah. fewer team, one less team. So, yeah, you can get away with five wins in nine games and probably just, cr just creep home. Um, on Pakistan, incidentally, they, they busted through 300 five times in a row. 340, three times in a row. The first three, team four, ever three to or do times that. Three times in a row. Yeah, they lost the series 4-0. So, the cliche with Pakistan is that they, you know, they've got a great seam attack, mystery yep. spin, but they, they're a bit iffy with the bat. If they can continually ram home 300 plus, they are going to, they are going to challenge in this tournament. And if they do, it means that Babar Azam 
has been one of the, the stars of the show. And he, before he made his little breakout, you know, in the last couple of weeks, you know I'm obsessed with this kid. He makes me want to cry. He's so I'm, beautiful. I'm, I'm sure our listeners do as well. I, I think it's really important to remember with Pakistan that Shadab Khan was missing in, yeah. in that series. He's, he's, their key, he's their key spinner. Uh, Yasser Shah played and Yasser Shah just uh, really he hasn't was, done um, it he was average I think is yeah. the way we put yeah. it that's being pretty kind Shalab Khan he's now uh, well again he's, he should be playing their first game Shalab Khan totally changes that team he's their best fielder he, gets, he bats at 7 or 8 and he's in my opinion, he's right up there with Rashid Khan and Rashid as the number one leg spinner in the world. The fielding is an issue. Yeah. It really yeah, is. It was, it was. And those sorts of things do cost you in World Cup matches. Massively. And that's why I'm not sure about the West Indies either. They are carrying four or five fellas in the field. Um, if, but they, if they bat first, quick scale gets 150 and he just doesn't field. <laughs> that sorts that one out. True, true. <laughs> Universe boss don't field. Um, Lizzie, Australia... Tell me they're not going to win the tournament. Oh, I really hope not. <laughs> it's but too dull. It's too dull if they do. It wouldn't be dull. In fairness, it wouldn't be dull. It would be an astonishing oh, story. Oh, yeah, but I don't, like, I don't like holders winning. I don't, yeah. I, okay. It's like... But when they've imploded... It's like Man City. Yeah. I don't like oh, the holders man, winning. But Man City's never been this bad. Man, uh, Australia was so bad in ODI cricket for about a, a year's period. They've only won 48%. Of their last, uh, of all the ODIs in the last year, I believe. Uh, I've, I've said it on the podcast before. If England don't win it, I'd love to see David Warner scoring a century in the final. Uh, what an image that would be to end, to end the tournament. Yeah, it's weird how your mind works, yeah, yeah. but I can yeah, kind of I'd, understand. I'm it. not with you on that. I'm not on board with <laughs> do, that. Do, at do all. you think that, I mean, similar to with Africa, we reeled off a, na- uh, a list of names of, of, of match winners there. Well, Australia, if you've got Pat Cummins and Mitch Stark on, on top form, you're going to go far in a tournament. I don't know that Australia have got the depth in their squad. Yeah, you're right, they've got... But they're a bit like South Africa. They've got match winners, but have they got match winners if they pick up an injury? Have they got 15 match winners? Because I think England have got 15. I might reserve a little bit on Vincent Dawson, but that's harsh, isn't it? Um, But I think England... Have they got 15 match winners in that squad? And I don't know that Australia have. Yeah, well said. I mean, we're back where we began, really. It's hard to argue against this bunch uh, um, in, in the, in the light blue. It's hard to find fault in it, really. I, there so is absolute... I'm so with you, Phil. It is... I just feel so uncomfortable. I much prefer it when England are rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It's better to write about, it's better to report on, and it makes me feel at home. But you're not going to inspire a generation, Lizzie, if England are I don't want rubbish. to inspire a generation. I like us weirdo generation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, not, I've not told you who I think will qualify for the who semi-final. Who do you think is going to qualify, um, yeah? So, so pretty much the same as you guys. So I think England, Australia, New Zealand. But then that fourth spot, I actually don't think that India are going to qualify for the semi-finals as, as crazy as that is Ooh. they are so reliant on that top three and the pressure of a World Cup on that top three only one of them needs to average even 35 and that is a massive difference to how they ordinarily do and also most importantly less logic based in World Cups you don't get what you expect all the time there's always there's always a surprise. There's always a shock. And in previous tournaments, there's been countries you don't expect pulling an upset. Maybe in this tournament, it's a, it's a country that you expect to get to the last four, not quite getting there. You're um, right. You're may- right. There maybe is, I just want that to happen. There is always uh, a bolter from nowhere. 
there's always uh, something that's obvious that's inverted, right? Lizzie and I have picked probably pound for pound the most dependable four teams in the tournament. Um, but it won't be those four. Yaz is probably right. There will be something, that, a curveball in there. Um, I struggle to think it will be India. And the reason why, no team believes that they're going to win it more than India do. India turn up to every cricket match thinking that we, we own this thing. And this is how I see their next few weeks. You're right, the middle order, maybe not quite as dynamic, pyrotechnic as, as the top order. Maybe they're not quite as strong in the seam bowling department. I get all of those points that Dhoni might be over the hill, whisper it, I understand that, I know Ben Jones believes that, all of that stuff, I get that. But when push comes to shove, so much of it comes down to how much you actually think, this is my time, this is my place. And India, every time they take the field, believe that they own that cricket match. And if Virat says we're going to win, then we're going to win, and you don't argue with but, that, but do you? almost for that reason I think they might capitulate. If you genuinely believe you're going to win so much... Then when something goes wrong, that might totally uh, warp your mindset. What what happens if they if they lose against Bangladesh, which they which they could, could very well do early on in the tournament, and that could affect them, I think, more than in England or in New Zealand or in Australia going on the tournament. And also, they've got so much more pressure from home than basically every other country in the tournament, maybe other than Pakistan. I'm not. If we're talking about legacy, yeah, which I hate talking about, <laughs> but it sounds like not you're about my to. thing. But if we are talking about legacy and inspiring, it's not great news if India don't make the semi-finals, I don't think. Yeah, well, the whole tournament is designed for India to make the semi-finals exactly. and more so. But I think we'll just leave that particular point there. Uh, so England first place by miles then in the group stage? Or, or, do, you think, or, do, or do you think there'll be some hiccups no. along the way? No, England are going to slip up three times, oh, I think, in the group stage. quite a lot. <laughs> three times. On that used, I, I, pitch, I that used pitch that they are playing Afghanistan at Old Trafford. I mean, genius, but they're playing on a used pitch against Afghanistan at Old Trafford. That one's not going to be great, is it? Yeah, that's going to be fabulous to watch, though. <laughs> I'm glad they are. I want to see Rashid Khan against England's top yeah, yeah, and it's a, on, on a dirty snag heap it'll be interesting to see how they come through that particular challenge, won't it? Um, you want a final prediction? India to beat England in the, in the final. Yeah, yeah, I'm with... Sorry. No, 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 no. New Zealand to beat England in the final. Yeah, you're, you're changing your prediction. No, no, so I never good. said New Zealand would win it. I want no. New Zealand to win it. No, New Zealand are going to beat England in the final. Please. England will fail to chase down 280. Oh. <laughs> that would be a horrible run yeah, chase to watch. 280. Oh, that would be horrible. You can imagine that the openers don't come out in the same way they normally do, protecting the wickets. Oh, horrible. Um, anyway, Lizzie, thanks so much for coming on. Great to have you with us, and I'm sure we'll see you at some point over the summer. Phil, wonderful to have you on, as always. Thanks, mate. Um, a final thank you to our partners, Travel Bag, creating holidays, packed full of memories since 1979. Check out their website and book yourself a long-haul holiday. Um, so that's it from us, pretty much, here at the Beer 91 Cricket World Cup Lounge, here at the Royal Garden Hotel in Kensington. They're showing most of the Cricket World Cup games here live over the next few weeks, so get yourself down and drink it all in. We'll be back with a full World Cup preview episode on Wednesday before we go daily, an episode every single day. Exciting times. But last 
but not least, we're giving away two tickets to the first game of the tournament between England and South Africa at the Oval. To enter, simply retweet the original tweet promoting this episode and make sure you give Beer91 a follow on Twitter. That is a proper prize. Isn't Big it? time. As ever, if you've enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends, shout from the rooftops, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. See ya, thank you. Cheers, folks. Cheers. Podcast Network.